The Black Lives Matter movement has brought to light a lot of injustices and inequalities in today's society, and it's left a lot of us wondering what we can do to help and to get involved. So today on the podcast, I am joined by Dr. Elizabeth Simpson to help shed some light on what we can do as doctors to help increase diversity in future generations of healthcare professions as well as treat our patients equally. Dr. Simpson is a general dentist in Anderson, Indiana, where she works full-time for a federally qualified health center, and she's also an active member of the American Dental Association's Institute for Diversity in Leadership program. I was really fortunate to have the opportunity to sit down with her and talk about systemic racism and unconscious bias in healthcare practice, and I really learned a lot of her, from her, and I know you guys will too. Welcome to the White Coat Academy podcast, your source for all things personal and professional development as a new healthcare provider. Join me, Dr. Emily Funk Reynolds, as we navigate the challenges young doctors face in treating patients today and work to better ourselves beyond our clinical care. Hey everyone, we are back with another episode today of the podcast. I am joined today by Dr. Elizabeth Simpson. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Liz. Thank you. So Dr. Liz, you know, here we are in June of 2020 and you are a black female doctor. And, you know, at this point you are kind of more the exception rather than the rule. Yeah. Though a lot of people like to think that we have come pretty far as a society in terms of minority groups as healthcare providers, that's really not the case. So what do you think are some of the reasons that Black and other minority groups make up such a low portion of doctors today? Uh, I think, uh, you know, I could go into history and talk about all the ways that um, for years and years, we were kept out of certain professions. Um, but I won't, I won't go that far back, <laughs> which really isn't that far. Um, I think part of what happens now is there's a lot of weeding out and not just of blacks, um, mm-hmm. but of all different groups of people. There's weeding out that goes into, um, as professions that require higher education. And so when you already have a smaller group of people, when they're being weeded out very, very early on, then you end up with a very small percentage at the end point. Um, For example, when I took calculus in high school, in my class, off the top of my head, I I can't think of any black males that were in my calculus class. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there was an AP calculus class, and I think there was one black male in there. Um, there were a few of us black females. Um, I took, there was an honors English class and then a class above that that I took uh, for English all through high school. And um, there were two of us black females and no black males in that class. And so, you know, we have to look at what's happening in middle school 
um, we can't just go back to high school because you're being set up for high school and middle school. And so we have right. to start looking at where are the black students in higher classes and why are they not there? And, you know, it's not, obviously it's not a matter of intelligence. Um, I think that it's a matter of opportunity and sort of how we see ourselves um, as Blacks, how we've sort of been forced to see ourselves in a way. And um, so I think it's a, it's a hard question to answer, but I think we have to look more early on in people's lives. You know, when I think about uh, one of my colleagues who I worked with a couple years ago, He's a white gentleman. He's a dentist. And, mm -hmm. you know, when we would talk about um, the class, like his girls were in elementary school and just the things they were learning at school at that point that were getting them ready for middle school, to get ready for high school, to get ready for college. And, you know, in middle and upper class families, we start prepping our kids so early. And, you know, for poorer families, they... You know, the parents may not know how early the prep needs to start. And if you look at statistically, the percent of people who are uh, in poverty, especially in certain areas in our country, it's a lot of people of color. And so you, if you have parents that don't know what needs to happen and teachers are overwhelmed and, you know, they may not even know they have a student in their class that wants to be a dentist or a doctor or something. So I think finding out, you know, in our case, when you talk to your patients, you know, you said you were going to be an orthodontist. So you're going to be dealing with a lot of young people. Um, I love to ask kids what they want to be when they grow up. And even when I'll have little kids that will say they want to be a doctor, I'll start sort of saying like, oh, you're going to be in school for a long time. I hope you know. <laughs> just start saying then, yeah. you know, if you hear kids say they want to be a doctor, then at that young age, your life sort of turns a different direction. And so I think when we see that in minority children, whether you're a black doctor talking to them, white, Asian, Hispanic, then start fostering that relationship with them and, you know, be the one to sort of say like, oh, well, what sort of classes are you taking? Do you like school? Da, 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 da. And just start being the one to help foster that in them. Yeah. So it seems like it's almost kind of like, I don't want to say a vicious cycle, but, you know, a little mm -hmm. bit that way, because if people are coming from an environment where maybe nobody in their family or anyone around them has kind of forged that path before, it's not even mm -hmm. that they aren't capable. It's that they don't right. know how, right. They don't know right. the necessary right. steps to take. And yeah. by the time, you know, a child is into adolescence or like kind of young adulthood where they have the ability to, you know, make some of those choices on their own, it's almost like too late. Yes. I, um, I had a young girl, well, young to me, she's 18 that I was mentoring and I knew her through my church. Um, I know her mom very well. And she had gone to, I believe it's called an like IB or international baccalaureate high school oh, yeah. here mm -hmm. in Indianapolis. And, um, she wanted to be pre-dental and her mom had her talk to me 
she had done well in high school and got to college first semester and decided she wanted to leave college because it was harder than she thought it was going to be. And it really, like, it really, really devastated me. And her mom reached out to me and was just like, you know, I don't even know if she'll want to talk to you at this point. She's just so discouraged. And, you know, her mom hadn't gone to college. And so, you know, she, she didn't know what to do. And I think for those, my parents went to college. Um, My mother was a guidance counselor. So she knew how early things start for kids getting prepped to do certain things. Mm -hmm. So I'm very fortunate in that. Um, But for so many people, if you don't know, you have no idea how early on things have to start. And I think that's a huge, it puts so many people at such a huge disadvantage. Yeah. So I think, you know, you kind of touched on it a little bit, but I think a big thing is almost like mentorship um, and helping, you know, foster the next generation of doctors and, you Mm -hmm. know, children of color who might be interested in getting into the medical field. But do you think that it's more valuable for them to have mentors like who are black or other people of color versus like a white doctor? Because I feel like now, you know, the proportion of doctors is skewed towards white people. So like, right. how do we kind of shift that balance? Um, I think that it is important. Um, I think another aspect that it, that's important is gender. And mm-hmm. when I was a little girl, my mother wanted all of my physicians to be black women. And if not black women, at least women. Okay. So my very first dentist was a female. My like second and third dentists were both black women. My pediatrician, uh, when I was little, little was a black woman. Um, and then for what, I think she retired and we couldn't find somebody else. This is sort of an interesting story to me. Um, and so then my next pediatrician that I had from maybe being, uh, I don't know, we'll say eight up until I was a teenager was a white male. And at one point, I burned my leg with some hot tea. I slipped. I was holding a cup of tea and I burned my leg and I went in to have him look at it. And I was 18 at the time. And I was just so sad because I was afraid it was going to leave a really ugly scar. Mm-hmm. And he said very nicely, well, it's not like you were going to be a model or anything. And I remember thinking at 18, I don't want a male doctor anymore because <laughs> I just, I just don't think a woman would have said that, you know? Right. And I just, I remember thinking as a kid, I'm never going to be like that with my patients, but I think there is, there's something to be said for having a mentor that looks like you. Um, there's something to be said for having a mentor that's the same gender, but I think if you talk to your patients and engage them and just say, oh, so what do you want to be when you grow up? If you're a white man and you have a black boy that's your patient and he says he wants to be a doctor, there's nothing stopping you from mentoring him. Right. Or if you know somebody, that if you have a black male colleague that you know of, 
go on Facebook and just put a call out in a group. You know, we're in a time when it is so easy to find people. So to me, there's sort of no excuse. And, you know, for me, I think it's skewed because as a black female, I know pretty much all the black dentists here in the city. Mm -hmm. But if I wanted to find somebody, I would just start asking around. And so I think talking to your patients, asking them and just feeling like I would rather this kid have me as a mentor, even though they're a black female, a black male, you know, homosexual, whatever. I would rather have them have me to talk to than nobody and just let them go because I don't look like them. Yeah, I mean, it's always better to do something than nothing, right? Right. And then at the same time, you could also maybe help to connect them with someone who you do know that maybe better matches their like socioeconomic or cultural background. Right. Okay. So I think, you know, I love that kind of story that you told um, about your pediatrician saying like, you know, it's not like you're going to be a model or something. Because I think that that, that is one of the major issues. So I think, you know, a lot of people don't identify as racist or they say Uh things with the best of intentions, Mm -hmm. but they, they don't realize like the way that they're coming off or that, you know, things that they're saying are potentially hurtful and I came across Uh a study recently that like as much as like two-thirds of doctors have unconscious racial biases about Uh their black patients so what are some of the things that you think in particular we should be conscious of when we are interacting with patients to help you know combat that so um I actually I have a Two examples to give you for that. Um, The first one actually has to do with the restaurant industry. Um, I have a friend of my mother's who is a white woman, and she used to work as a server in different restaurants. And she and my mom would talk about how uh, there is a a general feeling that Black people are poor tippers. So, you know, the, the Black family goes into a restaurant. And then they automatically aren't treated well because the server assumes they aren't going to tip. So then they don't tip because they don't get good service. Right. Okay. Yeah. And so it's sort of the same thing where when you have a black patient, whatever you think about black people, you're going to sort of go into it like, oh, well, they never take my suggestions anyway. Or, oh, they just think I'm out to get their money. And so you're going to treat them like that. So then they're not going to do what you say. So I think um, sort of going in with this cyclical thought in your head, like when I go, when I walk in and see a new patient, am I going to automatically assume, oh, I got a black patient here. Well, studies have shown that they did And then you yeah. go into it like that. Um, I have seen a study that says, um, studies have shown that Blacks aren't prescribed pain medication as much as whites. Uh, I guess we're perceived as not needing it as much, or I don't know if it's thought that we're going to abuse it more, but I thought that was very interesting. Yeah. So that when they go in in pain, they're not treated as their pain being as serious as, say, a white patient. 
So then it kind so, of like becomes a almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? Yeah. Because you have this yes. expectation about how they're going to react. And so you treat them right. kind of accordingly. And then right. that's how they end up reacting because of the yes. way that you interact with them. Yes. So how do you kind of, I mean, I know it's easier said than done, right? But how can right. people consciously work to not have those misconceptions because I know you know everything is pretty fast-paced in you mm-hmm. know Madison and there's all this pressure what does that actually look like in daily practice one of the things that I think we think about but don't actually practice is when you go in and see your patient are you picturing this person as how you would treat a family member. Like mm-hmm. a lot of times when, you know, for me, if I go in and I have a black patient, I'm like, oh, this could be my cousin, my mom, my dad, my uncle, you know. Um, and, you know, I'll be honest, when I go in with white patients, I don't necessarily have that same feeling. And right. so then I just have to revert back to this person is a human being, you know, just because they don't look like my family doesn't mean I'm not going to treat them like if this was my mom here in this chair. How would I want someone to treat her? And so just because you have patients that come in and aren't your same religion, um, you know, aren't your same ethnicity, when they come in, if you look at an older black man as, okay, how would I want someone to treat my father when he goes in? And, um, you know, for me, I'm a Christian, and I've had many, many times when I've been frustrated with a patient and something they're saying, and I will think to myself, okay, Liz, Jesus died for their sins too. Mm-hmm. And so it's just taking this thing and taking it to this really higher level of, I cannot let my bias affect how I treat this person because, you know, they are a human being. Their pain is the same as my pain when I go in. Um, you know, this is, this is a real life person. And just because they're black and I'm white or they're Asian and I'm black, whatever it is, we have to treat them like human beings. Yeah. So just consciously trying to like eliminate Mm -hmm. that piece of it and like comparing them to someone in your personal life at whatever level that may be. Right. So another thing I think too, is that a lot of times when people are trying to like do the right thing it actually like ends up being worse um yeah (laughs) even like I know with call like whether to call somebody black versus african-american right like a lot of people think Uh that african-american is the pc way to do it but a lot of black people don't identify as african-american and I think like I've noticed it um you know sometimes with people of like the older generation they feel like you know black used to be more of like a derogatory term and so they think they're being quote-unquote better by saying african-american but like Uh that's not actually the case and i feel like really the best way to kind of get all of that out in the open is to actually like discuss it but yeah i think a lot you know just from what i've been learning recently and with everything that's going on um it seems like a lot of things Black people are just kind of 
used to dealing with. And so when yes. something happens that makes them feel uncomfortable or um, that is offensive, they don't necessarily speak up about it because it's happened to them, you know, 50 times before. So do you yeah. think that black patients or other people of color would be comfortable saying something to their doctor if a doctor is making them feel uncomfortable? Or do you think they're more likely to just like find a different doctor? Find a different doctor, just like I found a different pediatrician after my doctor said yeah. about the leg. Right. So how do you kind of make um, feel comfortable kind of like calling you out or making you aware if you're making them feel uncomfortable? Because I think a lot of times people think they're doing the right thing when they're actually not. So I think that you have to look at it like sort of be more proactive about it. Okay. And if if it's a situation where you can just say, you know, if there's anything I say that makes you uncomfortable, please just tell me or, you know, say something about it. Now, the other side of the coin is you're not going to please everybody. Right. And there's going to be people, whatever race, that are going through life with a chip on their shoulder, but you can't take a couple, we'll say mess ups with a couple black patients and then extrapolate it to all your black patients. Um, I work in very rural communities. I have been yelled at more times in the last few months than I ever have in my whole career. And one of the patients that went off of me was a white woman. And mm -hmm. I mean, she cussed me out when she left. And um, the other three people that have yelled at me have been older white men. And that does not mean now every single time I have a white male patient, I'm going in like, oh, and I mean, there is there's a certain amount of uh, apprehension I have being in a rural community dealing with these patients. But right. that does not change now how I'm going to treat them. And so, you know, I think that's one thing that's really frustrating is that people, I, I know that some people are going to be like, oh, I had two black patients that got mad when I said African-American. Well, I mean, I hate to be rude, but sort of like grow up. Right, right. <laughs> don't, don't, don't let that now change the rest of your whatever you know if you were dating somebody and they got upset about something you'd be like okay I'm not gonna not date whatever it is now forever because right. I'm not gonna not date women that like ice cream because I took one out for ice cream and she didn't like it whatever the case may be but it's like don't you never know if that person has a you know what kind of baggage they came in with to your office Right. And not even just their mood. It's just that some people like certain things are more important to some people than right. others. Certain things bother certain people and they don't bother others. Like, I yeah. think it's just from what I have learned, you know, during this time, I think that has been the biggest thing for me is just just like, just don't be afraid to try. Yeah. Right. Because I think a lot of people, they recognize, at least now that there's a problem. Yeah. But they you know, there's so much out there right now, which is great. But I think yeah. there's a lot of different perspectives. It's like, it's almost yes. hard to know what's okay, what's not okay, yes. what you should be doing. Um, and you're so never going to get it all right. 
Do you right. know, like for me, um, I have some friends that are from countries in West Africa. And so to me, saying African-American is for them. And so I prefer black. Well, there's some black people that per- prefer African-American. Right. So you're not, you're not going to win everything all the time. But I think part of what makes the race issue so hard is that trying to figure out what's going to make everybody happy when it's like, if you will just treat everybody like human beings, you know, it's like you have a black patient. Well, don't assume, like, don't not give them a certain pain medication that you would give somebody else. Right. You know, it just, I know it's got to be stressful for people, but then, you know, part of me wants to say, do you know how stressful being black is or being gay or, you know, being a woman in certain industries? Like people, there's people who are living every day uncomfortable lives. And it's like, you can be uncomfortable for a few minutes having a conversation with somebody. Yeah. I think it's just like, just, you can't be afraid to, to try and also not too proud to admit when you mess up. Yeah, right? because undoubtedly, you know, you're going to mess up somewhere right. along the way or, yeah. you know, like you'll have an interaction with somebody that, you know, maybe goes not like you were expecting. Right. And you think you're doing the right thing and you're not. But I think it's just not being afraid to say, like, wow, I'm sorry. Like, I didn't yeah. realize, you know, yeah. and I think that's the piece that people are missing. But part of that yeah. also, you know, involves like I think, you know, during this time, also, there's a lot of pressure on black people right because white people are looking for them to give us all the answers (laughs) right yes (laughs) about like how does this make you feel and you know what's the right thing to do in this situation and that situation and I think you know I think a lot of white people feel like you know they're doing all of this change and stuff but it's also like a lot on the black community to kind of like be the guiding light for all of this yes Um, so I think you can't discount that and if somebody doesn't necessarily want to, you know, talk to you about everything. You have to respect that decision as well. Like I was, I was reading something. um, It said something about check it. And it was, you know, advice for white people on like what to do now. And it was like, check in with your black friends and see how they're feeling. And it was so funny because maybe for the week before I read that, I had so many friends that were like, how are you doing? How are you feeling? And then when I saw that, I was like, oh, Lord, they've yeah. been told to do this. And honestly, I don't, I don't really need people to ask me how I'm doing. Right. That's another thing where you're being told, like, reach out to your Black friends. And, you know, I didn't, I didn't need people to ask me how I'm feeling about it. Um, so it's, like you said, just try. Yeah. If you've got one black friend, try not to burden them because they might be the one black friend that every, a lot of yeah, people have. Yeah. But just try. You know, one of one of my colleagues now, he uh he's Indian and so I have questions for him about different things all the time. And and I usually will preface with with you know, I, I don't want to offend you and you are welcome to explain it to me because I'm a grown up. He's a grown up. I know he can't speak for, you know, all of Indian people. Right. That would right. be ridiculous. Yeah. But just try. 
you know, and I think the hard thing is um, when you have a question where you you sort of know the question is wrong. Right. Like, you know, I think a lot of, this is the first thing that came to my head, a lot of Black women will get questions about their hair. Yes. That to me is sort of like, if you sort of know in the back of your mind, this feels weird asking. Well, maybe, you know, if it's something about, I don't know, something, somebody can't help. Right. Then that to me is something where it's like, let me just hold off. And maybe if I can develop this relationship a little bit more before I ask. Yeah. I guess judge the, the level of interaction you're having with somebody. And if it's somebody you've known for a while, then carefully say, you know, I've got a question. You know, I'm trying to be better about this. And I want to be respectful of you as a person. But I do want to ask. And then ask your question yeah just kind of gauge you know their relationship and how appropriate that question might be yeah so okay so you know as doctors we're kind of I don't want to say elevated people in society but you know Mm -hmm. people give us a certain amount of respect um, because of our title so do you feel like doctors play an even greater role in you know kind of the movement to ending systemic racism or do you think you know we just play kind of our specific part in healthcare I think that we and this is just my opinion mm-hmm. I think it's easier if we deal with it in our role okay because it is a huge issue it's so overwhelming and you know, life, life is hard. You've got family, kids, coronavirus, there's so many things to think about. And if you try and go and now address race relations at work, at the gym, it's just, it's so much. Yeah. And so I think, you know, in trying to make ourselves better, better practitioners, looking at, do I have biases with my black patients and just looking at it from there and then you know as time passes and you feel you're getting more comfortable with that then maybe branch into another area but I think it's just it's so large right and um on my Instagram for the month of June I do um a little piece of advice for people like one one every day for the month of June. Okay. And sometimes when I look at it, I'm like, oh my God, there's so many things. There's yeah. supporting black businesses. There's blacks in healthcare. There's blacks in the movie industry. There's the type of books that we read in literature and high school. Like, it's everywhere. So to try and take it on everywhere, it's, it's just too much. You know, we do, we've got to live our lives and not, add this extra burden on yeah and there's kind of like that fatigue piece of it too right like if you go like too hard too fast into anything you're gonna burn out right and yeah exactly you know history has shown us that 
racism is the long game, right? Like it doesn't, yeah. it's not going to change overnight. And I think in order to kind of keep the stamina, you you can't try to do everything all at once, right? Because then you'll yeah. just... It's a marathon, not a sprint. Exactly. So do you think the main thing that we as doctors should do is try to like improve our own personal biases and relationships with patients? Or do you think we should try to, you know, go bigger in terms of like the healthcare system and um, administration? Like what do you think is the ideal avenue for change? Uh, I think in our profession, it's uh, sort of twofold. Okay. There's the patient part, and then there's the, actually, it's many folds. <laughs> there's yeah. the access part, uh, right. and then there's, you know, the part of having underrepresented minorities that are, you know, at the top levels of our profession. Um, I think it depends on the type of person you are, and if you are uh, sort of politically involved, then you could be more at administrative level. Like we need to get more black doctors, at this hospital, or, mm -hmm. you know, let's look for this specialist coming in. If you're more one-on-one -on -one than with your patients doing research on, um, healthcare inequities and biases and doing more with that. So I think sort of picking something and focusing on that so it's almost like, you know, whatever your kind of individual thing as a doctor mm -hmm. is, try mm -hmm. to see what you can do in that specific area. Because like we said earlier, you know, that's kind of yeah. like your, your expert area. Yeah. And, okay. you know, I, um, I feel like as a black woman, Pete, nobody's going to love their black patients like I do as a black woman. Mm -hmm. which makes sense in that, you know, I see my family in them. But if that's the case, any patient that's not going to a black doctor maybe isn't getting the same care. Mm -hmm. And that is sad. You know, I had, a, I had a black male patient come in the other day. His blood pressure was like 220-something over one-something crazy. Oh, geez. And, you, yeah, I know. So I wanted to be like, can you leave? Yeah. Um, and talked to him. I was like, look, heart disease is the leading cause of death in black men. And so I talked to him. And, you know, he had been to the doctor, got medication. And so I was like, when you leave here, this is what you need to do. Da, 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 da. Well, then he came back, he had gotten another medication added in. And, you know, when I think about patients who I've had that have had high blood pressure and gone and got their medicine, it's pretty much been my black patients. Mm -hmm. Because I think I'm looking at it like this whole big global thing of, listen, I'm telling you as a fellow black person, right. I know these statistics. And, but, you know, I want that for all, all practitioners should do that. No, I, I, you know, my, my physician now is my family medicine doctor. She's a white female and I love her. And I think if she said, you know, black women have the highest rate of anxiety. I don't think I would be offended because it would be like, Oh, she knows that means she's done her research. And so I, you know, we, 
we got to have people that can address our needs to us. Okay, so I actually really love that you said that because I feel like as a white person, I would be uh-huh. hesitant to say that to <laughs> a black patient. Because it's like the and, whole uh, thing we talked about earlier, like not knowing if something is offensive. Mm-hmm. So, but I guess the point is, you know, try it, right? Because mm-hmm. if I said that to you, you would react positively. Yeah. And, you know, like I said, I've gone to her for years. So we have that relationship. Um, so you're an ortho. Mm-hmm. Let's say you have, I'm going to have to come up with something. Let's say that you, <laughs> the studies have shown that black kids have more class three jaw alignments. Okay. And so they come in, they're seeing you and you know, the mom's like, okay, is she going to need braces? And so you could preface it with, you know, I'm going to give you some t- statistics. Um, I, I don't want you to be offended by these. I'm telling you these because I want you to be informed and okay. just say like studies have shown that African-Americans have a higher rate of this. And so this is the type of treatment that we need. Give them the count. Like, you know, if your teeth were like this, this is what we would do. But, you know, you delivery is huge. Um, But I think that if you show compassion with people and say things not in a clinical way as we can be, as clinicians. Right, right. And just, you know, and tell people, you know, I'm not Hispanic, but, um, you know, I think Blacks and Hispanics have higher, like, rates of untreated periodontal disease. And so I'll say that to people. um, Because I, and I, part of the reason I do that is because I want people to know that this isn't some isolated thing that I'm finding in them. Right. You know, it's like, this is something that a lot of people have and say it one way with somebody. If it goes over, okay, try it with the next person. If it doesn't, you know, that's the whole, you know, how they always say it's the practice of medicine for a reason. Yes. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Right. No, I love that. And I think that's really good advice. Just kind of lay it out in a way that doesn't make it seem like it has like a negative connotation. It's all, mm-hmm. you know, as with everything in life, it's not what you yeah. say, it's how you say it, right? So. Yeah. So do you have any particular kind of resources that you would recommend for doctors in terms of trying to get involved with the movement? Or do you think it's more just kind of self-learning and asking yourself those hard questions? I think it's asking yourself the hard questions and looking at your life and what it looks like. And when you are able to look at your life and say, oh, man, when I stop at my Starbucks, I'm in an area where my Starbucks doesn't have any black people that work there. There's no black people that are going in to get coffee there. Oh man, when I go to my office, I have no black patients. Mm -hmm. When I go to my church, there's no black people. There's no Hispanic people. And starting to sort of see what is it about your life that is, I guess for lack of a better phrase is 
so hotness, we'll say, and start saying like, man, am I, where am I going? What are mm-hmm. my habits? Um, I think, you know, if you are in a rural area and you don't have a lot of black patients, well, you know, it sort of goes without saying, right, and right. it will be sort of weird to be like, I wonder why I don't, well, there's none in your, none in your town. Okay. Um, but I think it's just sort of looking at your life and seeing what your friends are like and mm-hmm. just your habits. And if you're a parent, is this something you want to change? Is it something you want for your kids? And if you're like, yeah, they'll be fine living a white life forever, then <laughs> that's your <laughs> choice. Um, but, you know, if you're a parent and being like, okay, well, if my daughter brings home a black guy, how will I feel? Right. Um, it, you know, if they, if my kids bring home black friends, how am I going to feel? Am I going to treat that friend different? If they want to go to their friend's house, how am I going to feel? I think it just comes down to like being conscious, right? And mm-hmm. not being afraid to admit, you know, to yourself or publicly yeah. when you have those kind of uh, less than equal thoughts, I would say. Yeah. And, you know, I, uh, I heard a really great, I think it was a sermon or something the other day where um, a family was thinking about, a white family is thinking about adopting a black child. Mm-hmm. And when they were talking with the agency, they were saying they gave them some white marbles and some black marbles. And so they said, um, look at the past four books that you've read where they buy, where they buy white authors. And so they put uh, like a white marble in the jar. And they said, look at the lad, the artist of the last four songs that you listened to. And they had to put away. And so it turned out their, their life was so white that the adoption agency was like, we really we can't let you adopt a black child. And so it's things like that where, you know, if you're not even reading a book by a black author, you never go to a restaurant that has any sort of ethnic food or music, or there's so many things that you can look at your life and be like, whoa, it's very, it's very homogenized. Yeah. And why is it so? Well, thank you so much, Dr. Liz. You've given us a lot of really great things to think about, and I really appreciate your perspective, and I hope that, you know, this can help some other young doctors in terms of, you know, not even just doctors, just in their whole life, Mm -hmm. thinking about their views and their interactions with other people. So thank you. Oh, you're so welcome. I so appreciate you asking me. I'm so happy to have had this conversation with Dr. Liz. I'm doing my best to listen and learn during this time, and I hope you guys really are too. For me, the biggest takeaway is that it really starts with yourself and your own thoughts and misconceptions and really working on what you can do on a personal level. And I think that's really encouraging because if you're not a political crusader, that doesn't mean that you can't contribute to the movement. 
So I hope you guys enjoyed this episode and I'm really glad that I was able to share it with you. If you've been following the podcast up till now, you know the next thing I'm going to ask is that if you enjoyed the podcast, please leave us a review and share it with your friends. It just helps us to grow and reach more people. So thanks guys and I'll catch you in the next one. Thank you.